Welcome to Lawyer's Coach. Each episode of this podcast features Claire Rayson and Oliver Hansard, both coaches and former lawyers, speaking to various guests and experts in order to find out what makes lawyers tick. Well, that's what normally happens anyway, because in this episode, we've done things a bit differently. Claire and Oliver have been interviewing each other so we can get an insight into their backgrounds, experiences and coaching styles. Oliver was first in the hot seat with Claire firing the questions. So Oliver, to start off with, I know that you've had quite a wide ranging career, so perhaps you could talk me through what you've done. Absolutely. So I trained with um, Clifford Chance in the city uh, before they moved out to Canary Wharf. was there for three years and qualified into the project finance team. Uh, and then had the good fortune to get a job at IMG, the sports management company, where I had four or five years uh, having great fun working with golfers, uh, footballers and tennis players, doing a whole load of deals uh, in, the, uh, in the sports industry. And I think that was where my, my real fascination and love of, of, of doing deals and negotiation really emerged. So I understand that after that you moved to Dunhumby. Perhaps you could tell me a little bit about that. The irony of my my job at Dunhumby was that it was billed as a a non-legal role, but pretty quickly I became uh, general counsel of the business that at the time had a turnover of something like uh, £10 million and had a a real aspiration to grow internationally. And, And by the time I left 12 years later, it was a £450 million turnover business. And so that was a real roller coaster ride in terms of watching a, a technology company grow, work with um, data scientists and uh, entrepreneurs, and travel the world doing deals in all sorts of places I'd never really planned to go. The key thing that really happened there was my move from um, being general counsel, which was for about eight of those 12 years, and then finally I moved into that commercial role that um, was first advertised and became uh, corporate development director. So that was a fascinating, that was a fascinating time um, and uh, uh, really instrumental in my career and learning a whole range of obviously legal but commercial skills as well. And do you think being a lawyer and doing deals helped you move into that commercial role? So, so when I describe my kind of legal style, I, I talk about a spectrum of pure on one end of a, a spectrum and then applied on the other. And I think over time, I became increasingly applied in what I did. And, um, and those skills and that experience in, in doing those deals um, was, was instrumental, really, in me being able to transition into that commercial role. And were they skills that you kind of picked up on the job or were they skills that you think were ones that your employers valued and therefore tried to bring out in you? I think a bit of a mix, really. Like, like most things, I think on the, on the one hand, I've always had a, a fascination with people, love negotiation, love the psychology of negotiation, absolutely. So I've always, I've always had that, you know, a real interest in, in different, uh, different attitudes and experiences. But um, I think, you, you know, you, you blend that with, with, with the law and you're encouraged to develop those, those, those skills and that fusion. And it was bringing those two together that I think uh, was, was really critical in, in my success in that business. And you've obviously, you've been, you've described there that you started off at Clifford Chance and then you moved into in-house roles. 
What for you is the biggest difference between the two? I think number one is your client is literally the next door office. And I'm sure there are lots of uh, lawyers uh, in law firms around the world that would absolutely be terrified at the prospect of their client being next door and being able to come in at any time asking where they are on a particular matter. The other aspect and probably what I really enjoyed the most was you were really in the business. You really were stuck into the, the nitty gritty of, of the operational side of the business, but then had the good fortune to be on boards, on the exec, and be involved in, in the development of strategy too. And just kind of carrying on on that theme, one of the things that you know clients often bemoan of their lawyers or their you know their outside counsel is that you know they don't understand my business they're not commercial enough do you think that's achievable if you're not as you say kind of next door to the decision makers or sat on the boards it's interesting you use the phrase there outside counsel and i think for any uh lawyer private practice lawyer to succeed with their clients they should really think of themselves as that inside counsel, as, the, as, as being in-house and part of the team. Yes, you may not be employed by that business, but I think really understanding what's going on, understanding the pain points, the strategy, the motivations of the, of the business and of the leaders, I think that's really crucial. So for me, the kind of the number one thing is to be part of the team. And is that what kind of attracted you to the in-house roles? For me, the in-house roles were about, particularly with IMG, it was about sport. Um, and for with Dunhumby, it was just to be in a nascent industry. It was the first data science business. And so um, we, were, we were really in, in new territory, even explaining what data science was and what was possible with, with, with understanding customers in it through a di- completely different mechanism. That was what drew me to Dunhumby. It was the, it was the entrepreneurialism and the innovation and, and working with, with technologists. And then you mentioned Liberty Global there. So what was it about that role that attracted you and, and moved you on from, from Dunhumby? So at Dunhumby, we were using um, Tesco club card data to help businesses understand more about who were buying their their products at, um, at Tesco. And so our mantra at, at Dunhumby was, you are what you eat. And it was what you eat and what you buy that would describe uh, the type of person you are. At Liberty Global, we had this amazing opportunity with all the set-top box data that the Liberty Global oper- operating companies were collecting to really understand what people were watching in terms of video and what they were what they were consuming and how they were consuming it. So that became, rather than you are what you eat, that became you are what you watched, and you ended up describing people in terms of their viewership ha- habits. And so finding a different angle in the way that data was used was a real, uh, real attraction and, and a really fascinating period. Interesting that you then, and, and it's how we know each other obviously, were attracted by coaching and moved into coaching. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Of course. So, so coaching was kind of a, a natural way for me to go. I've been asked to coach many people over time in, in my career and my, my style of management was always much more of a, a coaching style uh, as opposed to a, a directive style. So I looked at what I wanted to do moving forward. That way of operating f- fused with my experience 
and then my my fascination with with people um, came together really neatly. I'd love the I'd love the as I said earlier the psychology of the negotiation, understanding now the psychology and motivation of of individuals to help them succeed and be as successful as they they want to be. That became a real draw. What is your approach when coaching? I know there are lots of different approaches to coaching. Do you have a particular style? I think of it in a four-stage process. So the first thing I like to, to build is, is empathy, both with the individual I'm working with, but help them build empathy and understanding for themselves. After that, help them get some real insights into them as an individual and let them think about themselves honestly and objectively um, and, and see where they can really work and improve and what they want to achieve. After that, I think about the actions that, that, that they need to take, almost like we used to do with, with data. We used to do a lot of testing and learning. What are those things that an individual can try and test and push themselves, start putting themselves out of, um, out of their comfort zone and measure how they feel and how they respond and how their performance improves? And if you get all those things right, my experience is everyone's able to make a surprising change. And have you got any particular techniques that you engage in trying to achieve that? I try and be as positive as I can when I work with individuals, be motivating for them so that they can motivate themselves. I try to do this by listening intently. I think we, we lack um, effective listening today. Everybody's too busy shouting and wanting to be heard. And I think in, in, in a coaching context, sitting back and listening um, to what the coach is telling me, but also enable them to listen to themselves so they can um, really understand the issues that they're grappling with. I'm a real one for individuals emphasizing their strengths uh, and trying to focus on what they're good at, because I, I've seen that in so many occasions be uh, a driver of growth. And then, of course, um, one of the key things in positive psychology is to actually reflect on one's one's own performance self-reflection and self-discovery can be really useful tools uh, when, when one is trying to to change and, and and grow so we've discussed your legal career and we've discussed your coaching career what are the parallels if any between the two yeah, I think there's some really interesting um, parallels, but also um, some contrasts between the two. I think as a coach, you're like a lawyer, an expert, uh, bringing, bring, bringing a skill into a, a conversation. And I think done well, both a lawyer and a coach uh, listen intently and are keen to understand the true issues uh, that, uh, that a client might have. Uh, and be keen to drive a um, the best outcome for that client. I think the difference with coaching, though, is is there's mu it's much less advisory. You're not a consultant. You're enabling the client to find the solution to the particular challenge they have. Thanks, Oliver. That was really interesting. But I understand that you've got some questions for me. So the thing I'm really always interested when I talk to lawyers and ex-lawyers is what attracted you to becoming a lawyer in the first place. So I think what attracted me to the law was um, stubbornness, to be honest. Um, so um, I, I wanted to go to Cambridge. Um, I had an idea in my head that that was, that was where I should go. And um, a number of people told me that I couldn't. Um, and if people tell me I can't do something, then I tend to, to try and prove them wrong. 
and Brilliant. love that <laughs> i had a weird mix of a levels so the truth was if i wanted to go to cambridge i couldn't um you know i needed to find something that fitted with my um with my mix of a levels and law was one that ticked the boxes so i kind of fell into it really i wanted to go into business i wanted to be an entrepreneur i thought law would would fit and um and someone told me i couldn't so i proved them wrong <laughs> and then you went to herbert smith what drove that choice so i guess there i was kind of on the treadmill so i think when you when you go to cambridge in particular to do law you end up on a particular path and i realized that i would be able to satisfy that itch of working with businesses by being a lawyer and actually i qualified as a corporate lawyer because i found that getting underneath the bonnet of a company the the thing that really kind of interested me and and that was why I stayed you know stayed with Herbert Smith and then like everyone else on the treadmill you um, you moved to Chile yeah absolutely so, <laughs> that's, a, that's a, a a pretty unique treadmill how did that occur um, I married a Chilean um, he was in Chile so that was why I went there and and that was interesting because I couldn't work as a lawyer when I arrived in Chile so I for a time worked for a corporate finance practice doing deals um, and and it was at an earlier stage than you would normally get involved as a lawyer so it was at the really early pitching stage talking to companies about whether they did or didn't want to sell their companies really getting to understand the motivations of the owners and fascinating to see all that goes on before a lawyer even gets kind of the heads of terms on a table but I was looking for another challenge. I move around a lot. So I ended up at the Foreign Office um, working for UKTI and the, the Foreign Office jointly. I was involved in business development for, um, well, for the London Stock Exchange and I also promoted the financial and legal services sector in Chile. I was still having that thread of being the person who had the big picture. I was connecting dots. I was making sure that the right people were talking to the right counterparts and it was incredibly varied um and that was what kept me interested and motivated and you know i was there for seven years which um is a long time for me <laughs> so when we first met you were working at running the marketing function of a law firm in reading how did you make that leap then back from latin america back into into the uk so again it was personal life crossing over with with the professional one so i have four children um and my elder two are chilean uh, chilean english and i wanted them to have an education in the uk i think that the british education system is great for critical thinking and i never really contemplated going into a law firm to do marketing bd but i was headhunted in chile into a Chilean firm and the senior partner there worked with me at the embassy, knew what I was about, had seen me doing business development for various other organizations and wanted me to create a marketing function for his firm in Chile. When I came back to the UK, I continued in law, I continued doing marketing and business development for law firms. Um, and, and as you say, when we met, I was in Reading heading up the marketing and business development function for a regional firm. And how did that work, um, being the business development lead and having to 
work with and encourage lots of lawyers who probably didn't want to do any BD at all to enter into the BD world? Yeah, it was a challenge. Um, I think I had, well, a number of things. I think, first of all, BD and marketing in law firms has moved on a massive amount from when I was, you know, starting my legal career at Herbert Smith. Um, you know, the, I remember the marketing team at Herbert Smith were in a different building and I think I only once went there to to get something on an A3 sheet of paper that I couldn't design myself. I think marketing and business development are critically important in law firms in a way that they weren't before. And I think that some fee earners really get that. Others, as you say, I think are more reluctant to do BD and marketing. So the role in-house is one where you really do need to be able to influence stakeholders. You really need to be able to understand stakeholders. So do you use coaching or did you use, I should say, coaching skills when you were in that role? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, um, I'm much like you, I think. I, I came to coaching because someone mentioned that that's what I was doing anyway. I think when you look at kind of CVs for marketing BD jobs, there's always a line that says you need to coach partners. And that led me to think, well, what does that mean really? Um, what does coaching mean? What does being a good coach mean? And I came to realise when I kind of scratched below the surface that lots of the tools and techniques of coaching were tools that I was using already with partners. So it's about understanding it's about putting judgment to one side. It's about helping people perform at their best. And the person that knows who, you know, how to do that really is the person themselves. So it's about unlocking individuals potential. Um, and it's not about being directive. And I think that's really important, particularly in an in-house marketing role, because you're dealing with individuals who are very, um, very intellectual, who probably like me when I started out, and I'm not sure I'm much different now, but stubborn. And I think if you're dealing with people who are stubborn, who are intellectual, you can't just barge in and tell people what to do. You need to bring them along with you. And asking insightful questions is a really powerful way to get people to engage with you. So do you think lawyers are coachable? I think everyone's coachable. Um, I think, you know, the difficulty with coaching is I think lots of people go to coaching and that's what they're signing up for. I think there are different degrees of knowledge around what coaching actually is. And some people might go in with the expectation that they're getting one thing when actually they get something else. I think if you're coaching someone and they don't realize they're being coached, um, people respond to that in different ways. I definitely think that people, you know, generally prefer to work things through themselves than just to be given the answer. Um, you know, some people might like to be given the answers, but at the end of the day, you're not bought in if it's someone else's solution. So for you to feel committed to a course of action, it has to be your course of action. It has to be something you're committed to. Um, and coaching for me is the only way to get that sort of level of commitment. Are there any particular tools or techniques you like to use when you're coaching? You know, a good coach is a good listener. And I think if you can listen empathetically, that is the most important tool and technique that you can use. I think one of the most powerful techniques is silence. 
Um, Nancy Klein, as you'll know, Oliver has kind of written a lot about silence and creating that kind of space for someone to to just talk. Um, and it sounds really simple, but you know, particularly as someone who um, who's a chatterbox, it's really difficult to create that space and to create that silence. Do you think silence can be a tool that lawyers could use more? Absolutely. If you're dealing with people who are very skilled, who are being paid for their advice, I think there's a temptation that you have to say something clever. And silence is uncomfortable. And, you know, I've been in many client listening exercises, client feedback exercises, where, you know, the lawyer will jump in and not let the client finish their sentence. And it's not about having you know a psychology degree or a master's or having lots of tools and techniques up your sleeve I think if lawyers just learn to sit back and listen a little more um, and silence is a great way to do that then I think they would achieve a much better understanding of their clients and be able to give much more solid advice. Fantastic stuff thank you. Um, would you like to tell me a little bit about your company client talk because that sounds like a, a fascinating business and approach yeah so I guess the final final stage of my career so um, one of the things that I've always enjoyed is getting under the skin of different businesses and you know I had it at the at the foreign office I definitely had it at Herbert Smith when I was a corporate lawyer and involved with lots of different companies so I wanted to um, to step out and to have something where I could work with lots of different companies. And the thread throughout my career has really been joining the dots and seeing the bigger picture. So my company client talk brings together consulting and coaching. So one of the things that we look to do is drive growth through insight. Um, and that's insight on a strategic level and it's also insight on an individual level. So on a strategic level, it's looking at a company and making sure that they're really clear on where it is that they want to go and making sure that they understand the reality of where they are versus their goal. Um, so Oliver, you'll know Grow. I think it's the first thing that all coaches um, learn. And actually I use the Grow model in my consulting on the professional side so for example I'm working with a client now and we're trying to articulate their goals so where do they want to be as a company we're working on finding the insight as to where they are versus that goal so talking to their clients trying to understand you know what how far away they are from from where they want to be and then working through the options with them and I do bring in coaching psychology so whilst I'm a consultant I'm very very aware of the fact that you know particularly when you're talking to partners who are owners of their business they need to buy into what you're telling them it has to be their solution it has to be their passion it has to be their goal so I'm, I'm much less directive than I think I would be as a consultant if I wasn't also an accredited coach um, and then on the personal side on 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 the insight it is one-to-one -one coaching or team coaching and it's about understanding as an individual individual how they fit into their organizations and how they can bring forward the, the their firm strategy so it's a real kind of fusion of of coaching and strategic 
business consulting. Is that a fair summation? Yes. I haven't yet found a word that sums that all up, but yes, it's a, it's a... No, we'd all like to find those words. <laughs> it's really kind of the culmination of everything I've done in my career through, as I said, being a very <laughs> academic person to, you know, kind of just picking up things throughout my career and, and, and you know, it's what makes me me and it's what makes hopefully my company unique. That was Claire Rayson speaking to Oliver Hansard and of course Oliver Hansard speaking to Claire Rayson. Thanks so much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed this episode. Lawyers Coach is brought to you by Client Talk and Hansard Coaching. If you're enjoying this series, please rate and leave a review as it really helps others find us. Now, if you're a lawyer and would like to take part in the podcast, do visit our website, lawyercoach.co.uk, for further details. You can also join the conversation at our LinkedIn group, Lawyers Coach. And if there are any topics you'd like to hear us discuss, then get in touch. Once again, thanks for listening and goodbye.